Welcome to Flourish, where we explore how to nurture, coach, and inspire the children we love to let their genius blossom. I'm your host, Diane Flanadin, and a very proud parent of a young man named Nicholas, who turns out has developed his own gifts in life, and it's going well. Today, I wanted to talk about the power of paper, the importance of this renewable resource when it comes to education. As technology crept its way into the classroom, and specifically at the beginning of high school for Nicholas, there, there was a bit of a setback, and not for just him. The school was now going to try and be completely paperless. All the books were going to be on iPads and all assignments were going to be written on laptop computers and submitted electronically to the teachers. Nicholas was to read practically everything on the iPad. How that was going to work? I had no idea. What I did know is it was not going to work for Nicholas. For Nicholas, among many other ways of learning, he is a tactile learner. He's hands-on, get messy, get in there, feel it, touch it, hear it, smell it, see it, full-on immersion when he learns. So how do you read a book without touching it? How do you turn the pages and feel, feel the progression, how far you are through that book? You can literally monitor how far you are through a book just by looking at what page you're on and the size of the book and wow, I'm halfway there or last chapter. And you don't even have to know it. You can literally see that and feel that sense of accomplishment. How do you well, me, <laughs> how do you turn a page without maybe licking your fingers every now and then? I don't know. You can smell the pulp. You, you can smell the paper. And it really does immerse you, your senses, when you read. And how do you, okay me, dog ear a page? Because Nicholas would never do that to a book. But that's how I roll, and I still dog-ear pages. And sometimes it's not even the page I'm on. Sometimes it might be a page I want to remember. So that kind of works well for me. And yeah, you can bookmark a page on an iPad or a tablet or a Kindle, but it just doesn't feel the same. It really doesn't. And actually bookmarking was the demise of the iPad experience at school. The teacher told the students one day to read to page 50 in their new book. Okay, no problem. But the next day when they came back to school, technically some people were on page 50, but technically some people were on page 42. How does that happen? No problem. Let's get everybody up to speed 
Anyone who hasn't read to page 50 yet, please do so. The next morning, they come back. Some people are still on page 50. And then some people are on page 59. How does that happen? Well, it turns out some of the students were reading on their iPads vertically in portrait mode. And some were reading horizontally in landscape mode. So the page numbers were never going to match up if that was the case. I believe moving forward they decided, hey, let's just read chapter one and we'll discuss. So that was no longer a variable, but <laughs> it was a pretty interesting experiment, I have to say so. So you get the picture. In fact, you've probably visualized the scenario just by hearing this and you can understand what I'm talking about because I believe we all think in pictures. For Nicholas though, he really needed a book. So in the beginning, I did buy paper copies of the books he had to read in school, just so he, he could continue learning without worrying about the struggle of technology and uh, the coldness of a an electronic device versus the warmth, the warmth of paper. Another example would be when Nicholas was learning to talk and we would snuggle at night reading a storybook. He might have had one or two words on the pages, but we had a favorite book. Well, okay, he had a favorite book and I had a favorite way of reading it to him, but it was all about cats. There were happy cats and silly cats. There were cool cats and crazy cats. There were lazy, hazy, daisy cats. <laughs> it was the funnest book ever. And mm, we put a little jingle behind that. So it really really made it interactive, and uh, Nicholas learned the, that word cat pretty darn quick, but he could touch the book, feel the book, pretend to pet the little cats. It was, it was so much easier on your eyes. You're not glowing in the dark. But the little jingle thing, I'm a cool cat, I'm a crazy cat, I'm a hazy, daisy, lazy cat. Okay, I can't sing, but it's fun. <laughs> I think children's books are super fun because there's the alliteration, which happens when a word starts with the same sound. Yes, sound, not the same letter necessarily. And there's a lot of rhyming going on. And I think Mother Goose, she had it down pat. Three gay geese in a green field grazing. Gray were the geese, and green was the grazing. Three Gray Geese by Mother Goose. That's a classic. One of my, my all-time favorites is more like the woodchuck. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? A woodchuck would chuck all the wood he could chuck if a woodchuck would chuck wood. 
And of course, that's a lot more fun when you start going, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck with a woodchuck wood? You make a game out of it. So can you hear the consonant, the harmony of each sentence? Not to mention how they kind of are a little bit of a tongue twister. In his book, Moonwalking with Einstein, Joshua Hoare discusses the art and science of remembering everything. The brain best remembers things that are repeated, rhythmic, rhyming, structured, and above all else, easily visualized. Words that rhyme are much more memorable than words that don't. Dynamic images are more memorable than static images. Hence, alliteration aids memory. Then there's the sticky factor. I like this one the best. A striped skunk making a slam dunk is a stickier thought than trying to visualize some person doing an athletic activity. I think he's got something there. That's, that's just boring. Who wants to look at some person when you can be looking at a striped skunk? He goes on to discuss the most useful of all mnemonic tricks, and that is song. If you can turn a set of words into a jingle, just like the cats, they can become exceedingly difficult to throw out of your head and forget about. Think about how you learned the alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Think about your favorite song and you hum along to it. Maybe when you're doing something monotonous like the dishes, but a little favorite song gets on and you're doing the dishes in harmony. It's catchy when our brains find patterns and structure in information. It's how we extract meaning from the world. Putting words to music and rhyme are a way of adding extra levels of padding. Extra levels of padding and structure to language. And so is the post-it note. And I guess if I used a post-it note instead of dog hearing my books, they would be in better shape. But that's an aside. <laughs> if you don't know what a post-it note is, it's this tiny square shape usually of paper with a little strip of low-tack adhesive on the back. And you can move it around, attach it temporarily to documents, walls, computer monitors, or in my case, I have them on my bathroom mirror. Not only as reminders, but as sayings. And right now, I have a huge saying on my bathroom mirror because I love quotes and it's the first thing I see every day. And it's where your attention goes, your energy flows. It reminds me to pay attention to the major things and forget about the minors. The post-it note as a sidebar was actually invented by accident. There was a 3M employee called Spencer Silver who needed to create a new adhesive and he created one that was only temporary. 
well, how is that going to work? And then a friend of his that worked there started using these tacky paper in his hymn book at church. The rest is history. So I think it's kind of neat. But before the post-it note, it used to be that if you wanted to brainstorm with a group, or even in a classroom, you'd start writing on a chalkboard. And then the chalkboard got a little fancy and it turned into a whiteboard. And then the whiteboard got glamorous and then it was an overhead projector with plastic film that you could write on and erase. And then after that, well, now there's PowerPoint, which is great, but it doesn't allow for creativity and collaboration when you are discussing material. It's not like you're going to stop your PowerPoint and change the slide. That's where I think the new term design thinking came into place, where when people want to gather their thoughts together, instead of a blackboard, they're now writing on glass with those glass writers that's erasable. Very cool. And in design thinking, a lot of post-it notes are used, scattered, organized, reorganized, moved, moved around, you know, different concepts flowing. That's good collaboration. Design thinking really pushes a person to think differently in different combinations because we are creatures of habit and we rely on our knowledge and our habits that we've accumulated thus far. So sometimes it's hard to break out of that barrier that we create for ourselves, to be honest. We form patterns and it, it limits our perspective and our problem solving. And sometimes it just creates havoc and overthinking. So design thinking is using a few different methodologies and combining them. And the best method is really done using paper. So you can see the big picture and you can think, think out loud. But is this really a new idea? Not really. It's simply another way of problem solving. And it is the way that police have been solving mysteries for decades because they lay it all out and solve the mystery and form conclusions and they collaborate versus being singular and working on their own. I just really think it's awesome that it's expanded into the workplace and not only in technology, in any workplace. And I would love to see more of it in the classroom where students got to just write things on the wall and put their thoughts on a sticky note and throw that sticky note up on the wall and just you know share their thoughts their ideas out loud and see what magic can happen. I would love to hear from you about the power of paper and specifically the post-it note to create new ideas through divergent and convergent thinking. Because I think there's a lot of great ideas out there and a lot of things happening and we need to share, share with the community. And how else do you use paper? For me, I have notebooks. 
I have a paper calendar. I have my post-it notes, but I also use technology. I have my reminders on my phone. I will use my voice memo to make a thought. Maybe if I'm driving or something, I can't write it down, but then I write it down later in my notebook. And then later you'll hear it in an episode. So it's all very much on purpose. So I do use technology to help me in my day to day. But paper is really vital for me. I really need to see the big picture calendar and I really need to feel the paper in a book. So back to the technology in the classroom. The laptop was to be used for doing all of your reading and writing and submitting papers to the teacher for grading. And Nicholas was okay with that because the wonder of having a laptop to work on is he could print out his first draft. He could physically lay out the pages and make corrections, see the big picture. And for me, I really, really struggle with not printing. So if he wanted me to proofread something for punctuation or spelling errors, then it was much easier for me too, as a parent, to help him out in that regard in my proofreading. And I just love the exclamation point. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. I probably overused the exclamation mark, but I think it's, it's just a fun way of saying yes, exclamation point. Thanks, exclamation point. Bing Crosby, hey, him and the Andrew sisters. You have to accentuate the positive. But that's the power of punctuation. And that's the power of looking at it on a piece of paper because you can really, really feel and see what you're doing. Books and paper are like a superpower for children. So the next time you think it might be better to read something on an electronic device that literally glows in the dark, hmm, just remember two things. It helps your child learn and when they're coloring on a piece of paper versus doodling on a device, you can always plant a tree. Yes, trees are a renewable resource. They're a natural resource. Unlike typing or texting, handwriting activates a part of our brain responsible for thinking, memory, and language and it improves the composition and expression of ideas. However, handwriting is disappearing in the classroom, and that makes me sad. Even when Nicholas was going to school, it was all printing, 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 and he literally learned cursive at home. And not very well, I have to say. And now that he's in university, he's actually learning cursive. He's teaching himself so he can write faster. And so there is some benefits to that. But I did uh, do some reading online about the power of paper and handwriting. And I just wanted to share that with you because I really feel it's going, it's going 
by way of the dodo bird. It's literally becoming instinct and it's a craft that should be continued. So I was reading on Psychology Today that scientists are discovering that learning cursive is an important tool for cognitive development, particularly in training the brain which develops functional specialization that integrates both sensation, movement control, and thinking. Which I thought was quite interesting because paper and reading a book made of paper has similar benefits. So there's a spillover benefit of thinking skills used in reading and writing. To write legible cursive, <laughs> legible, there's a keyword, fine motor skills is needed. You have to pay attention and think about what you're doing and you have to practice. So I know I said I wasn't going to get too brainy on you today, but I will share a few more points about the article. And it said, in learning to write by hand, even if it's just printing on paper, the brain must locate each stroke relative to the other strokes, learn and remember appropriate size, slant of global form, and feature detail characteristic of each letter. And finally, develop categorization skills. And this almost sounds like common sense. Cursive writing compared to printing should be even more beneficial because the movement tasks are more demanding. The letters are less stereotypical and visual recognition creates a broader repertoire of letter representation. Cursive is also faster. And you create your own style. Everyone's fingerprint is unique, and I'm going to say everyone writes in cursive differently. It really is personal. There's a whole field of research called haptics, and I'm going to look into that more. But it talks about how cursive writing helps train the brain to integrate visual and tactile information and fine motor dexterity on to talk about how learning cursive is equivalent to learning a musical instrument. And not everybody can learn a musical instrument. Not everybody has access to classes or maybe not even the instruments themselves. But everyone, and I mean everyone, has access to pen and paper or pencil. If you're just trying it out, you know, start with a pencil and move up from there. Computers are wonderful. They are. And they are a necessary tool in our day and age. Indispensable. No, no question there. I'm not saying let's all go back to paper and pen and don't use computers. But what I'm saying is they are a tool that should be utilized for their powers. But we all know that they can sidetrack us sidetrack even the best of us from the task at hand, especially because they have so much to offer. The printed word, whether you're jotting down notes for yourself or reading from a book, can offer you just as many rewards. Plus, you can guarantee you won't have shiny object syndrome and get distracted easily.
The visionary starts with a clean sheet of paper and reimagines the world. That's a quote by Malcolm Gladwell, who's a very, very good writer, and I would highly recommend you give him a read sometime. So thank you, my friends, for listening. I so appreciate you spending your precious time with me. If you'd like to support the show, please go to the flourish.mom website and click on the patron link. I would also love to have some feedback and reviews, not to mention subscribers. Next week, I'm going to talk about Remembrance Day. Well, Remembrance Day in Canada and Veterans Day in the U.S. And, of course, all those war heroes that should be recognized. So I'm very thankful that it's an annual tradition to recognize those who have served our country. And thank you, Nicholas. I'm going to use a composition. I absolutely adore it. You know, we are all born with a gift. We are all born with purpose. Life's journey is to hone and develop that gift as purpose changes within. Live well, my friends. I'll see you next week.